0: Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson. Good afternoon, good evening, good day. Um, whenever you happen to be listening to our podcast, we welcome you. Um, this is Rated LGBT Radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson. Um, today we have a, a really actually pretty important show. Um, um, as many people are aware around the world, we are under the, the throes of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And um, we're seeing a lot of the effect of it. Um, it has been noted that uh, many people of color are hit Particularly hard and in devastating ways because um, of different health issues that are um, contributing to making the the impact even worse. Um, there is speculation um, on how bad is this this um, impact COVID nineteen impact on LGBTQ people. Uh, we have a population that potentially has a higher um, Uh, HIV population, Um, there are other different underlying health factors that could contribute. But guess what? No one knows what the impact is because in all 50 states, no one is asking those questions. Well, we have one state senator in California who wants to change that. Um, Senator Scott Weiner is um, introducing a bill to the California State Legislature that would mandate the collection of that kind of data so we know more about that. And we have him uh, coming on today, and we are going to ask him all about that. First, I want to uh, welcome on to the show my co-host,
1: Brody Beck. Brody? Hey, good morning, good afternoon, and hello, folks. Hey, Rob. Hey, um, Rob. Before we get started with the show, um, I'd like to go ahead and uh, put the latest numbers out there. These were as of yesterday. In the United States, there were 1,231,992 Americans who tested positive for COVID-19. We lost 73,573 Americans to the disease. NBC News is reporting that there has been added complications that are now affecting children under the age of 12 uh, that has created even more difficulties, including cardiac arrest and other problems. In California, they're looking at 60,724 cases of COVID-19, and the state has experienced 2,461 deaths. Uh, California along with some other jurisdictions uh, have definitely been ahead of the curve in terms of uh, trying to manage this crisis. Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom uh, has uh, been briefing those of us in the press corps daily uh, on the updates what's going on. executive orders and some of the actions that his administration uh, has been taking in terms of managing and dealing with the crisis, some of those actions have drawn criticism uh, from state lawmakers uh, who said that he stepped a little bit out of bounds uh, by doing that. In New York, of course, uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, has been the leading face of the crisis management Uh, even at a time when the White House and the Trump administration, quite frankly, has not. Uh, At this point, uh, experts at the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, the National Institutes of Health, are telling us that while states like California, New York, and the others uh, that took early action uh, and were very proactive about prescriptive Uh, Measures, uh, states that weren't quite so much, and even now, particularly, we have 23 states that will be reopening um, and actually already have started. Uh, We're looking at a potential second surge in COVID cases, so this is getting serious. Uh, The conversations that we're going to be having with um, with Senator Weiner center in on a demographic and a population uh, that has been more or less wrapped up into the larger whole. But without uh, a look at the specific needs and issues of the community, that same criticism has been leveled against uh, the Black and Hispanic uh, counts and Asian counts for the COVID uh, crisis as well. So that's kind of what we're looking at so far,
0: Rob. Okay. And with that, I want to um, bring on uh, Senator Wiener. Senator Wiener, welcome to the show.
2: Uh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for number one everything you do and everything you are doing, and thank you for joining us. Um, what what brought this issue to your attention, um, and tell us about the bill that you've just introduced.
2: Sure. Um, well, I've been uh, you know active uh, advocating for the LGBTQ community. For 30 years now, time time flies, going back to 1990 when I was in college in Durham, North Carolina. Um, and one, one of the sort of perennial challenges that we face is a lot of times we know what's happening in our community. We know that some of the challenges, but the data often isn't there uh, because society um, has gotten better and better. There's still work to do, but this society has gotten better at collecting demographic data around gender, race, um, around age, um, whether it relates to health conditions or other challenges, Uh, but society has really failed in collecting good data on LGBT people. And when that data does get collected, it tends to show extraordinary things. When we have collected data around rates of homelessness, for example, we see that LGBT Mm -hmm. people are especially youth, dramatically disproportionately impacted, or unemployment data on trans people, dramatic disproportionate impacts. But yet we don't collect that data. And when we don't have data, that means we don't have information and we become invisible, and we're seeing that with COVID-19. We have in the healthcare system, when people go, whether it's to get tested or in the hospital, you're usually asked, about your race, about your gender, about your age, and you fill out those forms. You're not required to provide the information, but most people do, and that helps. And we see the disproportionate impacts on uh, black and brown communities. The African-American community is being so horribly impacted by COVID-19. We saw uh, 4,000 tests were performed a few weeks ago in the mission in San Francisco, and the Latinx uh, participation in that testing was less than half, but 95% of the positive tests were Latinx people, and thank God we have that data because now we know uh, that there are these underlying disparities and we need to focus resources. Um, Yet, for LGBTQ people, no data is being collected on COVID-19. We know that our community has health risks around increased rates of HIV, certain kinds of cancer, smoking, homelessness, all risk factors, uh, and yet the data isn't being collected. And so we are pushing uh, the administration and the California Department of Public Health to immediately start collecting that data as we do more testing, as we gather, as, as we do contact tracing, to start gathering data on our community immediately. We think it might already be required under existing law. We're investigating that. Uh, but in at at an abundance of caution, I introduced... Legislation earlier this week, Senate Bill 932, uh, that mandates collection of this data. Uh,
0: that's um, thank you so much for that, and and um, that it is such an important thing. Um, I do want to highlight um, your legacy with the LGBTQ community. Um, uh, as you said, you have been, you know, advocating and being being there for us for, for decades. Um, you've served on as a member of the San Francisco board of supervisor, and you actually represented the district previously represented by Harvey milk. Um, And you've been uh, the co-chair of the San Francisco LGBT community center and on the national board of directors for the human rights campaign among many, many other things. Um, One of the things for me personally is a, and now it's getting far more distant, but um, it is still painful. And that is the treatment of um, particularly gay men um, in the eighties by the United States and the, the um, AIDS epidemic, which was virtually ignored for years. Um, How is this legacy kind of emotionally playing into this situation for you?
2: Well, um, I, I, I was born in 1970, uh, yes, I'm about to turn 50, um, and I, I came of age as a gay man, um, which I guess is a, a polite way of saying when I started became sexually active, uh, in 1987, when I was 17 years old, and that was a, you know, when uh, so I became sort of very self-aware as a gay man, uh, and that was a very, very scary time as a 17-year-old to enter a community decimated by the HIV-AIDS pandemic with no real effective treatment and being so ignored by society um, outside of certain cities like San Francisco or LA or sometimes uh, New York city, uh, we were just being ignored. Um, And this virus was raging and it was just wiping people out and uh, just blowing up, disrupting communities. Uh, And, and, and I was, lucky that, you know, had I been born five years earlier, you know, I'd be more likely to be dead now and to have lost all my friends. And so for many, you know, and I, in San Francisco, in the community where I have lived for 23 years and I represent, we have so many long-term survivors, both people, long-term survivors who have HIV, but also long-term survivors who don't have HIV, but went through it and lost so many people, people who are LGBT mm-hmm. and people who are straight, And they, uh, and so there's a level of trauma of PTSD, having gone through a pandemic, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, here we go again, um, with mm-hmm. you know the and people people dying and, and you know especially long-term survivors who are now you know a lot of them in their 60s and their 70s, even their 80s, so they're in multiple high-risk groups, uh, and people are really it it, it brings back that trauma. Um, but also what uh, you know what CoVID nineteen is showing us, which it, it's really it, it really complements what HIV showed us first of all, the health disparities that we continue to have certain communities that are treated terribly. It was you know gay men I and mean, trans people, and now we're seeing with communities of color who are living in overcrowded housing, who are forced to go to work as service workers without proper but we also On the positive side, we see what's possible when everyone is affected, not not equally, but, you know, everyone's at risk. All of a sudden, the federal government can spend trillions of dollars to support people who are impacted to we see this just like unbelievable investment in vaccine and uh, pharmaceutical research to try to quickly come up with a vaccine or at least uh, more effective treatments, you know. God what what would have happened had we seen this level of response in the 1980s mm-hmm. HIV how many lives would have been saved how many how many mentors to people like you and me would still have been around we lost a generation of mentorship in our community of leadership of of, cre- of creative people political leaders business leaders just people who were gone and affected our community for decades but uh, you know this shows that we are able to when we want to to invest in public health and to invest in truly fighting a pandemic early on
0: now those are, are brilliant points uh, and the PTSD i think is very real um also you know i'm i'm a few years older than you um so i i was much more um involved and, and affected by the the, the deep part of that, uh, when it was happening. And one thing that is a little bit parallel is that the experience of the virus is somewhat segmented. Um, like we've got communities that have very few cases or relatively few cases yet they're under protection so that they don't experience it. And a lot of the people there are reacting in this kind of, um, Oh my God! This is a conspiracy. It's not real. Everything else and a lot of society when the AIDS epidemic was was hitting was that way as well. Where if you were gay and you had gay friends, and I'm in that group that you described that you know all of my close friends at that time are now passed away, um, and passed away around that time, um, where I would then interact with the heterosexual part of my life. You know, my family and you know, business and everything else. And they were completely oblivious to it completely. It wasn't, it didn't, wasn't in their world whatsoever. It was somewhere over some other wall that they were unconscious of. And it just, um, yeah, it's uh, so hopefully we are taking that experience forward and hopefully influencing this, this time around in, in a better way and your work obviously um, is is all part of that and and very important
1: um brody good morning, Senator Weiner. how are you sir good morning i I'm, I'm I'm doing great thank you no problem uh Senator um, in a conversation I'd had with Governor Newsom in a press conference earlier in the week, uh he had assured me that even though he didn't have the numbers. Uh, or any grip on the data that he would uh, have some reach out to me Uh, as a direct result. The person who did was actually the director of the California Public Health Department, Dr. Sonia Angel. Uh, Dr. Angel and I had a conversation, uh, ironically enough, I understand, uh, after she'd had a conversation with you and the legislative LGBTQ caucus. Um, Dr. Angel's discussion with me centered around the metrics of contact tracing, and to push forward on that as a means by which they would be able to more accurately determine these numbers. Now, i would had a conversation over the last month or so, Senator, with uh, medical examiners' offices all over the state of California, and the coroners are telling me that, well, actually, you know, we can actually collect this data. It's not that big of a deal. We can, If we don't get it from family members, we can have our investigators scoured off of social media or friends or so forth. And I asked mm-hmm. Dr. Angel about that, and because apparently my understanding, and Senator, please correct me if I'm wrong, that currently the only thing that they're asking is the gender of your spouse. So that would only be or significant other. So that yeah. kind of limits, you know, our transgender population, you know, our mm-hmm. queer kids, our non-binary kids. Uh, and it, it completely also, you know, as you know, sir, uh, leaves – the entire homeless population out of the equation, looking at your bill, looking at the direction and looking at the direction the caucus is taking, what do you think is the most important thrust uh, in terms of these issues on contact tracing that Dr. Angel raised with me?
2: Yeah. So a couple of things we did our LGBTQ, um, legislative caucus. We had a, um, meeting, a virtual meeting uh, with the governor and Dr. Angel um, and other uh, gubernatorial staff uh, earlier this week, I think it was on Tuesday, it was a, it was a very good meeting. Uh, you know, Governor Newsom has been a long time ally and champion uh, for the LGBTQ community. I've known him for over 20 years. I, uh, I trust him to get it with our community. Uh, and he and Dr. Angel absolutely acknowledge that, we're, that this data needs to happen, that we need to do better. Um, at our, we had a uh, Senate oversight hearing yesterday. Our new Special Committee on Pandemic Emergency Response and um, uh, Dr. Charity Dean, who's number two at the Department of Public Health, was there. She acknowledged it again. Uh, they all committed they're going to work with us. Um, contact tracing clearly is a big opportunity to collect data because you are, when you do contact tracing, uh, you are interacting both with the people who are. Who have tested positive. So you're doing an interview with the person who tested positive, and then you are interacting with all of their contacts. And so that is a big opportunity to collect data. I do want to see the data collected at the point of testing. If we're going to be dramatic you know, doing sixty thousand tests a day, you know, mm-hmm. starting soon, we're up to thirty we've really we've gone from fifteen to twenty to thirty thousand just in the last couple of weeks. So we're ramping it up. We're now Going to be for the foreseeable future. Doing enormous amounts of testing, we need to change that the that you know entry point so that when people get tested, they are asked uh, this question. And ultimately, we need to have very broadly in our healthcare system that anytime when you go to the doctor, to the hospital, testing for not just for COVID nineteen but for anything, anytime you are asked about demographic data, age, gender, race. You should be asked about sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, now, that's something we're not going to solve this year. Um, we're going to mm-hmm. look at existing law and see how it needs to be filled out. And next year, we're going to work, uh, look at legislation on that. Uh, the death certificate issue is a real one. We actually looked at that issue earlier this year, and at some point, I think we have to do it to make sure that, for because especially when you look at, for example, uh, LGBT youth suicide or mm-hmm. transgender murders you know these are categories where we know it's happening these problems are in our community and yet they're not collecting that data as part of the death certificate so there's a lot of work to do right now we're focused on covid but going forward it has to be broader Okay.
1: Senator, I have a quick follow-up. I know that you're going to have to go here shortly because you have legislative business. Um, I also asked Governor Newsom in a press conference about a month ago about AB5. I got statistics that were handed to me by a Los Angeles-based think tank that showed that roughly 61% of LGBTQI Californians were employed within the gig economy. And I'm not talking just Uber. I'm talking across the board in many various you know, forms of engagement and employment. Uh, The governor, uh, quite frankly, is categorizing it as a job killer. So in AB5, which is, you know, directly, you know, working with, uh, you know, the economy and the gig economy, and we have so many Californians now um, out of work, Senator. um, I mean, now looking at that, uh, do you and the caucus plan on revisiting that issue? Because I've been asked that question by a lot of lgbtqi people which is why i asked the governor about it
0: sure and well Brady, I, you know
1: yeah.
0: sorry sorry want can you define what that bill is the many of our listeners won't yeah. understand what that bill I, is I, about i i yeah i can
2: i mean i can do it so what happened was um by context a few years ago the california supreme court issued a ruling the dynamex ruling basically reclassifying a huge number of people who were previously classified as independent contractors, reclassifying them as employees. And we have a longstanding problem in California. This is pre-existing Uber, Lyft, et cetera, of uh, people being misclassified, people that I think everyone would acknowledge this person really is an employee, but they're being defined by their employer as an independent contractor so they don't get a lot of the protections and benefits. That employees get and so that's been a long-standing problem and the legislature never really addressed it in a meaningful way the California Supreme Court issues this very broad ruling mass reclassifying all sorts of people as employees many of whom should be employees some of whom should not be Um, and so the legislature stepped in with Assembly Bill 5 was authored by Assemblymember Lorena Gonzalez uh, out of San Diego and what that bill did had we done nothing had we just said, we're not acting, we're, we're going to scrap AB5, we're not going to do anything, then today the California Supreme Court Dynamex ruling would be in place and it would be and it would have all of this reclassification of independent contractors as employees. AB5, all it did was to take the Dynamex ruling and scale it back somewhat by putting a list of exemptions in uh, of different categories that are not considered employees, like a realtor or insurance agent or you know a physician um i i will absolutely acknowledge that this is a work in progress there is more work to be done there are people who under Dynamax and ab5 are considered employees who should not be i know there's legislation that Assemblymember member gonzalez uh, i believe has introduced this year around musicians um i know there are issues with some of our community newspapers and freelancers freelance writers mm-hmm. um this is going to be an issue. It's going to be a work in progress, frankly, for years. Um, we, I think we got you know a big chunk of it right with AB5, but we didn't get all of it right. And so we're going to have to continue to make adjustments. I think more work would have happened this year uh, than COVID struck. We had to go in recess. We're coming back now, uh, but we're going to have a much more narrow legislative agenda this year. So there are issues that we all want. I've had to abandon a bunch of my, legislation this year that I really wanted to pass this year, but I'll have to mm-hmm. defer to next year. So that's going to be a work in progress. We know adjustments have to be made and I'm confident that they will be.
1: Fair enough. Thank you, Senator.
2: Rob? Yeah.
1: yeah no, um, thank you
0: so much, Senator. Um, I don't know how much time we have left with you. Um, I just wanted to get your feel for what, you see the rest of the year looking like for California Mm -hmm. and COVID-19? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I I had my, I had my first moment a couple
2: of days. I've been really trying you know, upbeat throughout this because I think it's, you know, got to be just during hard times, try to stay upbeat and, and positive in terms of looking towards the future and, you know, working together. And California really has pulled together in an inspirational way and, the governor's been an inspirational leader, our mayors have been as well. I had my first moment a few days ago, I was looking at Instagram and I saw someone I know who had posted a photo from last year of like, you know, 20 guys at Tahoe just hanging out. And and I had a, you know, a moment of like being really sad that, you know, I wish I could Mm -hmm. be with my friends and, you know, um, things are different now. Uh, We will get through this. We're gonna, you know, we will move past this pandemic. We've had pandemics before. You know, We had the 1918 Spanish influenza, which killed tens of millions of people um, uh, in in times when we we didn't have a lot of the medical knowledge we have now, and we got past this. So we will get past this, and we will return to normal, although hopefully not normal in the bad ways. Hopefully we'll have a, a stronger social safety net. We'll address some of the inequities that we're seeing. But in terms of normal human interaction, we will get back, and we have to just do everything in our power to make sure we don't have mass evictions, mass dislocation, that we don't lose Mm -hmm. a majority, you know, huge numbers of restaurants and bars and cafes. We have to have triage to try to stabilize things. But the rest of the year is going to be different and difficult. We know that we're, you know, projection today that we're going to see 16% unemployment in California. That's extraordinary, just extraordinary. And that we're going to have, uh, we're, we're, we're seeing a drop of uh, over the next, you know, 15 months of 41 million, 41 billion dollars in our state budget, plus an additional 14 billion we have to spend on different emergency response safety net programs. So that's, you know, more than a 50 billion dollar hole that we have to make up. And, and I pray that Congress uh, sends a strong relief to the state to help us. Um, so it is we're going to have a very ugly budget. It's going to really challenge our ability to do some of the things that we need to do because we can't engage in deficit spending in California. Um, We're going to see huge stresses on our small businesses and our nonprofits. And LGBTQ nonprofits are really struggling now because they tend not to have Mm -hmm. endowments, tend to be very event-based fundraising. Uh, We talked to the governor about that as well, uh, and it is on his radar. Um, And you know, we're gonna, you know, and for, for our community in particular, you know, it's a very social community. We we go out to the bars. Um, people go out, you know, to the bathhouses. People go out to all the different, you know, ways that we interact and socialize with each other. Um, we need, we want to get back to that. And it's going to be slow. But, you know, I think my hope is that by over the summer or into the fall, we'll start seeing a lot of that start again. But it'll be different. We're going to be wearing masks for a long time. Uh, we are, you know, Things are going to be just different, but we have to all work really hard to get as close to normal as we can in a healthy way, understanding that over time things will get back to normal.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, thank you for that That overview. Um, one One thing that I see a lot, because a lot of LGBTQ people are artisans, hairdressers, you know, um, in in – uh, gig economy uh, comment that Brody made earlier um, and apart from the the issues there regarding that classification but also there are people who tend to have had to live paycheck to paycheck because California is not yeah. an inexpensive place to live um, and a lot of them are hurting very badly just economically right now um, and I know you don't have any magic bullet answer for that but um, it's it's uh, are are there efforts for example in the hair salon area in particular uh, it's been yeah. kind of pushed back to the same level as, as going to a movie theater which doesn't make a lot of sense because it is so highly regulated anyway in terms of hygiene and cleanliness and everything else um, are there any efforts to kind of move that up the bar a little bit in terms of yeah. ways that they can open safely
2: yeah i mean we'll, we'll see that's a you know obviously a public health question I, I know that our hair salons the particular beach salons are that they are really really hurting i've been sending even though even though i haven't a, had a haircut now in nine and a half weeks i send the guy who cuts my hair and i <laughs> check you know every month and my friends are doing that as well we all should be doing that to support people uh we hope that people are able to get unemployment and now pandemic, um, unemployment assistance, which even if you're an independent contractor, you can get, although the system has been overloaded, so it's been way too slow. Um, And, uh, you know, we do need to get the salons, the hair places reopen, you're right, because, you know, it's inherently closer contact. You have to be close to each other um, that, you know, right now it looks like that's scheduled to happen in phase three, which might not be till August or so. That's a long time to wait. Um, I'm hoping that there can be a way to get, to get that done earlier. If You know, when you're talking about one-on-one, not having a crowded salon, just someone cutting someone's hair, and they, they're both wearing masks and washing hands and being careful, I'm hoping they can find a way to do that so there can be at least some loosening. Um, but we'll see what the public health folks uh, say. I mean, pe- right. people need to get their hair cut, but people also, you know, these folks need to work. Right,
0: no, absolutely. True. Yeah, And I, and I apologize, um, Senator, if I do need
2: to, uh, do need to run.
0: Uh, before you leave, is there anything we didn't ask that we should have?
2: I think you've covered it pretty thoroughly.
1: Well, well Chatter, I wanna, I'd like to thank, thank you for your time. I really do. Yeah.
2: Oh, of course, thank you yeah. for having me. I and, appreciate it.
0: I want to thank you not only for your time, but for being you and for, for advocating for us and all your hard work. It is so appreciated. You're inspiring and we're behind you. Um, so thank, thank you so and, and thank you. really, really, really hope you have great, great success with everything you're working on. Thank you.
2: Greatly appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thanks for joining us.
2: Okay. You have a good one. You Bye-bye. too.
0: Thank you so much. Bye.
1: Okay, Brody, what else is going on well, in the world? Uh, yeah, it's it's been one of those days. It's early on, of course, uh, Washington's a few hours ahead of us. Uh, the Trump administration um, has decided in its infinite wisdom that it wants to uh, take the guidance and the review stuff that was done by the Centers for Disease Control, which included CDC's detailed guidelines to help schools, restaurants, churches, other establishments such as air salons as you mentioned with senator weiner um and uh, they rejected the guidelines um and then they the white house turned around and asked for revisions to make them less prescriptive and then um according to the associated press and my colleagues at the washington post the white house turned around and told cdc officials that some of that guidance will quote never see the light of day Unquote, um, which, when you look at it, is kind of a horrific thing and, you know, a situation that we're in now with the COVID-19 pandemic, just not only in the United States, but, you know, globally, planetary basis, uh, that this administration is taking this position. And, you know, the information needs to get out there, um, as Senator Wiener pointed out, even in looking at the niche communities, the Latinx communities, the black community. Uh, the LGBTQI community, you know, we need these guidelines. We need this information. We need to be able to do this sort of thing, particularly now when you've got these states reopening. We've Mm -hmm. already seen a spike in numbers in Georgia. We've seen another spike in Texas. Um, And it's almost like there seems to be a disconnect uh, in, in terms of, you know, the reality of how this thing hits. Uh, The conversations I've had uh, with uh, California's uh, officials, particularly uh, Dr. Barbara Ferreira, who is director of public health for the city and county of Los Angeles. Uh, The conversation I had with Dr. Uh, Sonia Angel, who's director of California's Department of Health. um, You know, this needs to be taken seriously. People need to understand. Uh, And and as you know, Rob, uh, you've seen all these protests, all these people um, just in bizarre ways, you know not wearing masks, not following the guidelines, not doing physical social distancing uh and in a couple of cases in Michigan and a few other places, actually wearing guns, which I'm sure went over real well with the you know legislative bodies yeah. of those states um, people need to step back and understand that uh this is it it's very serious um uh, my colleague um, Lester Holt and the crew at NBC News did a report last night on a variant of the COVID nineteen and how it affects children, and and it's really awful. Uh, in some cases, even creating a state of cardiac arrest. And, and, and Rob, we're talking eight, 11 ten, eleven-year-old children. Right. Um, right. Brody, so, can you can you go back to yeah. the? the...
0: Hold on. (laughs) Can you go back to the (laughs) spikes in Georgia and Texas? Um, Are those spikes um, new since their reopening and potential result of that? Or are they spikes that were actually in progress, not that the reopening would help
1: that? According to the numbers that we're getting, um, It is a definite spike since Governor Kempree opened the state currently right now in the state of Georgia uh, the Georgia Department of Health is saying that they had 30,000 plus cases uh, confirmed with 1300 deaths in Georgia however uh, on a county by county basis uh, if you look at the map of the state uh, it looks like they're spiking in certain parts of the state and not in other parts of the state. Uh, Atlanta, for example, um, they've seen a definite rise in cases. Now, interestingly enough, some of the businesses uh, in the greater Atlantic, Atlanta, not Atlantic, Atlanta area, uh, decided not to reopen. Mm -hmm. um, Right. You know, for fear of, you know, uh, of the virus, Uh, there are parts of the state uh, that have been deeply affected by it Uh, in southwestern. Uh, Georgia near the Alabama line. It, they have you know a tremendous amount of cases. Uh, Texas. Let me shift over to another Southern state. Um, Abbott, Governor Abbott, uh, amended his order as a matter of fact, uh, so that hair salons uh, could in fact open up, and that was partially predicated on a case where a salon uh, owner in Dallas or actually Dallas County, had defied the order. And then a judge said, well, you can't do that and put her in jail. Now, this morning, uh, the Texas, Texas Supreme Court ordered her free because Abbott, the governor of Texas, had amended the order. Um, but there are, again, patches within Texas where we're seeing numbers going up rapidly. Uh, and so it, it really has made a difference. The, the physical distancing, uh, the staying at home, you know, all the, the sanitation measures, the washing of the hands, all of that uh, has played a role uh, in, in flattening the curve in certain areas. Uh, the Centers for Disease Control uh, told me yesterday that while some areas of the country, particularly uh, the states of Washington, Oregon, California, uh, Nevada, Colorado, and then all the way over on the East Coast, The tri-state area around New York, Uh, the numbers have been coming down. The death rate, while still high, is not anywhere near where it was two weeks ago. Now what they're seeing is, is in the central portion of the country, as these 22 or 23 states start reopening, suddenly you're seeing all these spikes as certain restrictions, okay, are being taken off. The states that are remaining closed, uh, we're seeing the numbers flatlining, we're plateauing as Governor Newsom says, uh, but then in other states we're seeing these numbers shoot up. Now the other thing that's worrisome, according to C D C is that they're seeing an increase in numbers in rural areas in particular. You know, in, in your urban settings it's unexpected. Uh you have know, a lot more people obviously, you know, more potential for cross contamination and human to human transmission. But in rural areas now it's starting to show up out there as well. So uh, this thing right. is a very per- how, pervasive bug. Yeah, go it, ahead.
0: Yeah, how, how is that affecting the health facilities of um, Georgia in particular and Texas? Are they starting to become overloaded, um, which has always been the one of the big motivators about, obviously, keeping deaths down is, is a motivator, but it's also um, the fact that the health care system would fall apart if, all the cases descended, um, you know, unabashed by social distancing. Are they getting near to that experience in these areas?
1: Uh, The, um, Georgia department of health, um, is saying that at this point, uh, with the hospitalization rate, um, in the state, which, uh, we were told was, uh, highest rate 65 years of older and if you take populations of about a hundred thousand uh the hospitalization rate in georgia is about four percent they currently um are looking like they do have enough uh, hospital beds uh and the ability uh to manage the caseload they have now however they're cautioning that there are limitations on that now as you know some of the other states uh, have had extra surplus in certain pieces of equipment that could be required in Georgia, such as ventilators, and governors of those states, California, New York, and the ones that have kind of a overstock, if you will, uh, are willing to help out. Uh, the critical need area, though, is in personal protection equipment, or PPE, as Mark commonly referred to as, um, and that's, that's really where Georgia's going to be running into some severe difficulties is that they're not gonna have enough uh, N95 uh, masks and, and PPE for their first responders and their healthcare workers. Um, as it worsens and as the state's infection rate uh, climbs up, uh, this is gonna present a problem uh, for Georgia's Department uh, of Public Health. Um, we're also seeing that, by the way, in places like Mississippi, Louisiana, uh, New Orleans has been a hot spot for the COVID-19. Uh, and so, these, the, the, the biggest critical need areas, of course, are PPE supplies and um, having access to them. Um, certain states like New York, California, Washington State, know, uh, their governors have been able to accumulate a great deal of uh, contracts on PPE, and they, they've been able to bring a lot more in. The other part of the equation in which Senator Weiner talked about, and this is really becoming kind of the critical mass issue, and this is really where the focus is, is testing. Uh, You know, right now, yesterday the White House, uh, you know, threw some numbers out in terms of, you know, how many tests have have been accomplished across the United States. Um, And if you look at the number that the White House was, all excited about it represented probably less than 3% of the total U S population. And quite frankly, that's not enough. I, you know, the United States and this is as of yesterday has completed 7.5 million tests. Okay. So if you take the rough average of the total amount of Americans or people living in the U S borders of 330 million people, that means that you've only tested 2.3 percent of the population. Well, that's like next to nothing uh, in right. California. Uh, as Dr. Angel told me, uh, the big focus and what they're what they're really um, going forward with, okay, uh, is contact tracing. Governor uh, Newsom has initiated uh, a program where they're training virtual trackers so that they have the ability to chart the actual infection uh, ratios, and and they'll be able to take a harder look at it. And again, it's all data points and data-driven, as Senator Weiner just uh, said. So uh, these are the type of things that people need to be focusing in. And we have some states that don't have those capacities uh, or capabilities yet. They're not working in the same spaces that the larger states uh, are working in. Some states are doing a better job of managing than others. Uh, and, and again, it just comes back to basics. Um, basic hygiene, wearing masks in public, social distancing. You know, this, These are all the things that are prescriptive that actually do work. Uh, and the, the next phase, of course, is going to be critically important. And as Governor Newsom laid out in his press conferences and has continued to lay out, uh, one of the most important things will be okay people's ability to uh be tested and then we know exactly what the ratio is uh and that takes a while rob and that's really what the issue is uh overall Right.
0: right brody i want to go back to the um information and the guidelines out of the cdc that the white house is suppressing um one of the thing accounts i heard that it sounds like some of these are around um, and obviously the White House has a bias in terms of that. Um, mm-hmm. Who who can get this information? I mean, I, to me it seems like this should cause a, a, a severe amount of outrage that the White House would repress public health um, guidelines and recommendations that are vital. Um, you know, can the Biden campaign, jump in on this and make a big deal about it? Can you know the state's governors get um, on board and demand that the original guidelines be um, made public? Whether the White House wants to um, stand behind them or not is up to them, but this um, complete repression of actual information um, seems unconscionable.
1: Um, it does. Uh, my colleagues at the New York Times reported a couple of hours ago um, that the Trump administration rejected the detailed guidelines, uh, which would have helped schools, restaurants, churches, as you just indicated. Um, the White House asked for revisions um, from CDC and the NIH um, and directly from the people that wrote the guidance. Um, but CDC is saying, well, we're not sure it's going to get posted uh Publicly, sources told the New York Times that in a senior staff meeting uh, at the White House last week, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows uh, expressed concern that the guidelines were overly prescriptive. Um, and, you know, the thing of it is, is the guidance that was uh, given by sources and it was obtained by the New York Times, uh, you know, has sections dealing directly with childcare programs, schools, day camps. Right communities of faith, employers with, you know, vulnerable workers, Um, you know, Trump has been all about getting the economy, you know, reopen, 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 reopen. I mean, this is the worst economic meltdown, uh, well, globally, but particularly for the United States since the worst of the Great Depression, which was between 1932 and 1935. Those were the you know we we were running twenty four to twenty five percent unemployment during that time period. Um, this detailed CDC guidance the New York Times uh, uh, said that was and this is guidance that was seen by members of the White House task force. Um, you know, they looked at it and they viewed this as a document that would slow down the efforts, okay. Uh, to reopen the economy. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the Associated Press was the first to report on that fact. Um, you know, this guidance was established and submitted to help states and governments adopt measures uh, that would keep the virus from spreading. Uh, you know, there's there's two parts to this, but the most important part, you know, uh, in a very 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 basic area. Uh, is the fact that we don't want this damn thing spreading, especially now that as Lester and the crew at NBC reported last night Now we have a variant of it that's attacking children in, in a very lethal way. Uh, we already know that the virus is extremely uh, Lethal to the elderly particularly elderly people uh, who have compromised respiratory or other immunosystem uh, issues uh, people that uh, have emphysema or some sort of, you know, respiratory illnesses, uh, even those uh, who have had pneumonia uh, re- on a reoccurring basis. So all of these things put together, uh, you know, the thrust should be on the human way um, to do it. Um, you know, as, as Senator Weiner just outlined, he, you know, next year here in California is yeah, going to be rough. So it's going to be rough, but to have the White House, you know, say, well, well, wait, that's just too much, and we're not going to let this see the light of day. Yeah, the governors may have access to it, and the Department of Health uh, directors across the United States, including Dr. Angel in California here, would be able to get to it, but, you know, not having it publicly available doesn't help. You know, it also means that um, the Trump administration is kind of paying lip service, okay, to protection. Yeah, when you look at the amount right. of people, Rob, okay, that, a alone that filed for unemployment, okay, since the, they started charting this thing, I mean, you're talking 22 to 24 million Americans are out of work right now, and a lot of them probably aren't going to go back to work because the jobs that they had just won't exist anymore. There's a lot of small businesses that just simply won't survive economically. Um, but you know, there's a baseline and the baseline is right.
0: But there, there's also an issue though, Brody, I think that's going to crop up where in these places where the economy is quote unquote opening up and that's where these guidelines come in, come out to be kind of important is because if the true recommendation for safety is one thing and the mandate to open businesses is another, then there are going to be employees who are going to essentially be forced back into work because they will no longer get unemployment benefits you know in other words the you know the the business is opening the boss says you have a job therefore the unemployment service says you now no longer get unemployment because you're offered a job but that job is being offered in a way that violates the CDC's true guidelines on what is safe, and I think mm-hmm. this is going to come to a head because I mean we've got the the squeaky wheel right now with these different groups of hundreds of people doing protests about opening the economy, and if you look at those protests, a lot of them are holding signs and and concepts that are ignorant. I mean they're not they're not about the facts of the COVID-19 and what's safe and what's reasonable, they're simply going on, you know, freedom means I don't have to care, is basically the theme, which is not reasonable. And a lot of the, to to go back to an old phrase, you know, the silent majority um, I think is much more guarded on returning to work early and being susceptible to um, this virus. So I I think there is some huge potential minefield in the way this is all developing.
1: I I don't disagree. I and the thing of it is is that you know there and uh, and there is no real easy answers um that you can look at in this but I think that uh you know and and you were mentioning the craziness with the signs and You know, as I, you know, indicated earlier, we had people invading state capitals with guns even. Um, I saw a uh, post on Twitter today by another journalist from, um, I believe, one of the Miami-area television stations. And it was um, body cam footage uh, from a um, Dade County uh, sheriff's deputy who was moonlighting a security uh, for a Publix, which is a grocery store chain in Florida and um it, it's a guy that sounded like he was uh Info wars nutcase uh alex jones going off on how the entire there was no pandemic it was a red flag this doesn't exist the government's just doing this and i mean he he literally sounded a little off um and and, and you know right down to the alex jones gesturing and everything else the not funny part about that is is those aren't isolated incidences. We're seeing more and more and more of those. um, And we're seeing a lot of people doing a lot of pushback, but what they're not understanding, what they're, what they're not getting is that if you don't comply with what these health departments are asking, if you don't comply with these guidelines, you know, visible or not, but what these governors are saying, uh, you know, you're putting lives at risk. And at the end of the day, um, you know, early on in this pandemic, one of my journalist uh, colleagues uh, made a rather macabre joke that we may be looking at a Monty Python, you know, moment where you have people going through the streets with a bell ringing, yelling "Bring out your dead," and people are piling on carts. Mm. And, you know, it's an unfortunate analogy, but you know, looking at it, I, I have to stop and wonder. You know, at one point, New York. Just the city of New York, just the city of New York, okay, not the rest of the state, just the city was accounting for nearly a thousand people a day dying. Just New York City. Yeah, you Mm -hmm. start multiplying that by urban areas all over the United States, and suddenly the Monty Python scenario becomes very unfunny. Um, Right. You know, the guidelines and the guidances uh, are meant. Okay, to protect people, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's no vaccine right now. Now, there's a couple of um, established pharmaceutical companies and research facilities that are working very hard uh, towards a vaccine. Uh, Gilead is one. And in the United Kingdom, the research facility at Oxford uh, University. Uh, But even they are saying it may be the end of the year or early into 2021 before they have something. Yeah, you know, they're still trying to figure out a way to treat this thing uh, so that the effects are less devastating. They've, they've had a couple of trials with a couple of drugs that were actually not designed specifically for COVID-19, but actually other type of retroviruses, including Ebola. Um, and while they worked to a certain degree, all they basically did was kind of decrease the hospitalization period. And, and maybe bring the people, you know, where they were at a point in their, uh, you know, triaged healthcare that they wouldn't require a ventilator. But that's all so far. So, it, you know, now we are finding out some good things. We're, we're finding out that, you know, you can kill this thing if it's on a surface. You can kill this thing, okay, uh, if, it, if it's out and exposed, all right? Um, NBC reported last night that they've done some preliminary studies. Uh, that apparently direct sunlight uh, and and people distancing and things like that will actually wipe this little bugger out. But, you know, let's face it, you still have to deal with the fact that it transmits so easily. Um, So I I don't know. At at the end of the day, the the biggest thing that we need to do is we just need to maintain, you know, the standards that have already been put out there. It's exceedingly disappointing that the Trump administration has elected uh, to take this, quite frankly, anti-science, anti-common-sense position all in the zeal uh, to reopen the economy and worship of the great American dollar instead of the great American lives. I think that's tragic. Right. Right.
0: And and that's all the time we have today. So um, thank you, Brody, for that. And, yes, it is, um, apart from being tragic, it creates huge anxiety because, then no one knows who to trust. And that is a situation that is becoming untenable in this country where this has become politicized. And I think it is, that is solely because of the poor handling of the Trump administration. And that is what they're inspiring. And that is um, truly reprehensible. Um, But that is it for us today for this week. Um, I do want to thank Senator Weiner for joining us. Um, and his work um, super super important. Um, please support that bill. Call your senator um, if you're in California and your assemblyman, um, and ask them to vote for it and support it. Um, and we will be back again next week with yet another civil program on Rated LGBT Radio. Um, please have your friends uh, subscribe to us. We're available on all the different podcast apps. Um, and we appreciate your listenership very much. Um, Also, um, Garrett Miller, who um, created Rated G Radio, of which Rated LGBT Radio became an offshoot and then sort of took over, is going to come back with some special programs, so look for those as well. And also, don't forget, out in Santa Cruz on Saturday nights on www.ksco.com. 7 p.m pacific time 10 p.m eastern time that's a live stream uh more good lgbt information there so thank you brody so much for everything you do thank you to our listeners and we will see you again next week you've been listening to rated lgbt radio